0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to segment three of Myths and Misconceptions. This is episode one. Let's get right into it. The task I lay out here is big, I know, but I'm an optimist, so I will promise you that it's not impossible. A world where women don't live in fear of rape is possible. So, there are two episodes in this segment, and in both, we are considering the question where do we go from here? We have talked about a lot. I'll do a brief recap, less than a minute, I promise. <laughs> well, maybe I shouldn't promise. We'll see. Anyways, in segment one, we considered the competing narratives of sexual assault itself, the way it's twisted, the way we change it, the way we understand it, and what this all tells us, looking specifically at the Stanford rape case. Using that, we outlined the ways our problem with sexual assault manifests itself in delegitimizing women and failing to punish men, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In segment two, we considered why do we do this? Why are we unable to get mad at rapists? Why do we always blame women? We discussed psychology, philosophy, and most recently, tangible myths about women that we see in past and present society. And that brings us to now. With everything laid out in front of us, the only feasible question is what now? So in the first episode of segment three, this one, we're going to talk about the intangibles. Intangibles. And don't mistake the intangibles for anything less important. They're just not necessarily policy changes or court cases. Little rhyme, did you catch that? (laughs) Anyways, we're going to look at the intangibles. All the ways we can subvert the myths and misconceptions that exist in our mind and in others. Okay, so we have learned that our rape culture is not just founded in the massive tragedy of a rape occurring. In fact, it is far more pervasive because it is manifested every day in every way that we uphold the false narrative society teaches about women. So I guess good news and bad news here. The bad news is that this problem is deeply rooted. The good news is it can in many ways be boiled down to our daily actions, meaning we have the power to change things. How? Good question. Great question. Arguably, we've already started on the most important step of dismantling rape culture. Naming it. When you know the subliminal ways it exists, you will stop perpetuating it yourself, and hopefully, you will join me in the quest of stopping others. I have five suggestions, ideas, ways that we can do this. So the first is our approach has to be active, not passive. We have to call out the norms that are upheld in daily life and conversation. You have to call out things like, oh, boys will be boys, or it's just locker room talk, or she was drunk. That's the stuff we can't let slide anymore. We have to speak up when we hear these values of men over women and women needing to fulfill a certain stereotype, you know, being upheld. Look, I know this sounds vague. I promised you it was intangible. But we have to stop perpetuating the norms that have sinister impacts. Things like telling boys not to cry. We have to call out conversations that normalize the idea of men as strong and powerful and women as weak and timid and all pleasing. We have to especially take note of and stop conversations that devalue women in any way. Even things like delegitimizing their successes because that company needed a woman executive. And things like boys talking about girls only in the context of what they look like, rating their bodies, or physical attractiveness. We can't let that slide. Essentially what I'm trying to say is I hope you've seen how these little things build. How they are the root cause of our rape culture. Because here's the thing. It's not hard at all to get someone to agree that rape is wrong. But as one article from The Nation puts it, Rape culture exists because we don't believe it does. Our words and actions and inaction normalize and permit sexual assault. So that's where our role comes in. And I know it can feel vague and confusing, but in understanding the ways that we manifest a society that allows boys to continue to get away with this, we can better understand where we need to step in. And once we understand that, it's on us to step in. I often find myself thinking about the power there is in like a teenage boy hearing his friend say something that sounds sexist or problematic and just throwing a simple like hey that's messed up. That stuff matters and it really is on all of us. I know it's scary. There's been plenty of times where I've heard things like this and haven't spoken up and I always wished I had. There's also been times when I have spoken up and felt a lot better about it afterwards. Obviously, don't beat yourself up. It's not a competition. Everyone's trying to be the best they can, but let's all just get a little more comfortable with speaking up when it matters. So that was idea one. My second idea in what we can do to subvert rape culture comes in understanding the concept of intersectionality. Because in understanding rape culture and feminism and misogyny comes the absolutely crucial discussion of intersectionality. The fact is that oppression is not simple. African-American women are at a disproportionate risk of sexual assault, and that comes from a study from the American Psychological Association in 2020. It's a fact. So when you think of this entire podcast, understand it in the context that the stakes are even higher for women who already face oppression elsewhere. That's disabled women, impoverished women, trans women, all minority women face these issues more than cisgender white women like myself do. You have to understand that in the context of this entire podcast. So this is my PSA. If your feminism isn't intersectional, it's just not feminism. Look, I never said this issue was clear cut or easy to understand. I only said it was important. So that's my second suggestion. My third suggestion is to stop believing so much in gender and gender roles. Toxic and violent masculinity is a key facet of this problem, so why don't we start with redefining masculinity outside of the arbitrary boundaries that have been set? While we're at it, let's redefine gender. Allow people to exist as they please with our full respect no matter how that is. Because we've talked about it, but I'm going to say it again, sex and gender are two separate things. And I'm not saying that you need to completely go against things you like just because you want to subvert gender norms, My favorite color is pink and I like wearing skirts. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Just as there's nothing wrong with women who absolutely loathe dresses and cut their hair short. What I'm trying to say is that when we stop being so bought into the myth that is gender and gender roles, we're going to see a lot of progress in terms of stopping violence by men against women. And I know, like I said, I know this seems intangible. That's because it is but because it comes from simply changing the way that we think about things, changing the way we think about gender. In my opinion, it is far past time. My fourth suggestion comes in the context of preventing rape itself. Normalize enthusiastic consent as the only acceptable form of consent. Understand what consent is and, more importantly, what enthusiastic consent is. Because yes means yes. Not I'm tired means yes, not I don't know means yes, not silence means yes or hesitation or I'm not sure, and definitely not no means yes. As Project Respect explains, quote, Consent is a mutual, verbal, physical, and emotional agreement that happens without manipulation, threats, or head games. Yes and only yes means yes. This one is non-negotiable. But when consent fails and sexual assault happens, this is my fifth suggestion, and I'm really pleading with you all here. Believe survivors. I saw a tweet once that was like, the way you immediately respond to something is the way that society has conditioned you, but the way you think twice determines who you really are as a person. So you might hear a claim of sexual assault and not immediately believe the woman, but can you then address why? Can you then question why was your first reaction something else? Was it because of a thought you had about the boy or the girl? Question why you have a hard time believing survivors. And hold yourself accountable. So I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. My fifth suggestion is to just believe survivors, please. Listen to their stories. Don't, when people come forward, say, oh, this is convenient timing, or why did you wait so long to say something, or there's no way he did that, or here's one I've heard, she was just embarrassed she slept with him, so she made up a rape story. I am pleading with you to understand, after listening to this, the way that these ways of thinking allow rape to continue. Believe survivors before asking questions, before delegitimizing their stories, before putting them through the trauma of sexual assault all over again. So that's five ideas, five things we can all work to implement because hopefully you've seen how important they are. So brief recap again, what are we gonna do? Well, we're gonna speak up even when it's scary. We're gonna practice intersectional feminism. We're gonna stop prescribing to harmful gender expectations. We're going to make enthusiastic consent the baseline and we're going to start believing survivors. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox now. And i'm sure you've heard many of these things before i just hope that hearing them in the context of this podcast where we've looked so closely at the repercussions of not doing these things you can really grasp how important they are and like i said i know many of these are conceptual and intangible and while that doesn't take away from their importance there's definitely a piece missing so next episode We're going to see what legislation to support, what conversations we need to start having with kids, and what organizations are really doing this work. I hope you'll stick around. Thank you, as always, for listening to Segment 3, Episode 1 of Myths and Misconceptions. The task I lay out here is big, I know, but I'm an optimist, so I will promise you that it's not impossible. A world where women don't live in fear of rape is possible. Talk to you in the next one.